0: Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy, expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, everybody. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace podcast. My name is Dave And I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, we're going to look at Psalm 27. And the title of our study is My Light and My Salvation. Would you please join me in prayer? Father, we thank you that your word is true. And not only is it true, but that you you intend to take the word that we hear and to apply it to our hearts and and to our lives and so we lord we give thanks we thank you that you are a god who has spoken finally and completely and that you are your word is trustworthy and reliable because behind it is a god who titus one says never lies and so we give thanks lord We give thanks that you are a good, a faithful, a holy, a just, a perfect God who has given us a reliable, trustworthy word that is without error and without the possibility of error, that we can trust and believe and obey. And so, Lord, we we come today because we need this light. We desperately need the light of your word that is a lamp unto our feet and that testifies to the one in Jesus who is the light of the world. So, Lord, open our eyes to see great and wonderful things that are in your word that you have that You have revealed to us. Open our eyes, Lord. Illuminate this great psalm to our hearts that we might know you more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to psalm 27 psalm 27 starting in verse 1 the lord is my light and my salvation whom shall i fear the lord is a stronghold of my life of whom shall i be afraid when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh my adversaries and foes it is they who stumble and fall Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I, am, that I will, will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple." For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies abound me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, Lord. Breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the reading of God's precious, precious word. In 1812, the famous missionary and linguist, Henry Martin, just finished his translation of the New Testament into Persian he realized that his translation would need the approval of the shah if it was going to be accepted in Persia, which is present-day Iran. And so Martin had two beautiful presentation copies prepared with exquisite penmanship. And before he was granted an audience with the shah, Henry Martin had to pass through an interview with the shah's vizier. He arrived at the court, the only European there. All eyes were on him. Within minutes, the viziers' officials began arguing with him. For two hours, they assaulted Martin verbally, interrupting him, saying all sorts of lies about him and his book. Henry Martin stood alone, ten against one. This man may have forgotten how to fear. He was a foreigner with no friends in the Persian courts. Brian the vizier stood up to ask the crucial question. He challenged Martin to recite the Muslim creed, which is, Say there is no God but God, and Muhammad is his prophet, and the court fell silent. And the room crackled with electricity. And Henry Martin writes this, I said God is God, but added, Instead of Muhammad is the prophet of God, and Jesus is the Son of God. And he writes They all rose up as if they would have torn me in pieces, snarling out one of the classic fighting cries of the Muslim world. He is neither begotten nor begets. What will you do when your tongue is burnt out for this blasphemy? Martin's beautiful copy of the New Testament at this time was on the floor before the vizier. Martin was afraid that the men would trample it down and ruin it in their fury. He went in among them and wrapped it carefully in a towel while they glared at him with contempt. Now, Christ-centered bravery is, is not just for missionaries 200 years ago. We need confidence, we need courage today because of the challenges that we faced, especially on the doctrine of Scripture. There is all sorts of attacks on gender, on social justice on biblical sexuality. Nearly every essential doctrine is under assault. We might be afraid to stand for Christ when we're alone on a business trip with our boss and our colleagues. We might be afraid to stand as a, as a Christian at a family reunion. We might have to trust God with a hard situation in our marriage. We might be uh, terrified as we stand behind a hospital beside a bedside hot s- bed in a hospital wondering what the future holds. The psalm before us is, it's full of confidence, it's full of courage, and it starts with the question, whom shall I fear? And it ends, let your heart take courage. The good news of the gospel is that we have an anchor for our souls and we have a sufficient Christ to anchor us in whatever we face. We can be calm, we can be confident, we can be courageous, we can be brave. How? Because God gives us himself. And if we have God, we have no need to fear. And so today we're going to organize Psalm 27 around four words. Confidence, presence, deliverance, and patience. First, confidence. David starts this psalm by declaring his confidence in God. The word fear or afraid is repeated three times in the first three verses before us. This is a reminder that, humanly speaking, David should fear. Verse 12 tells us what the danger might be. Adversaries and false witnesses, even though enemies are lying about him and his life lies in danger, he knows God and he knows what God has done. And David, God is three things to David. His light, his salvation, his stronghold. Verse 1 of Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And David makes a strong statement with these three descriptions here. Light and salvation are parallel to each other. They help explain each other, both of them are set in parallel with the, the second phrase describing God as a stronghold. Together, these three descriptions, they emphasize God's protection, a cord of three strands that cannot be broken. Light means security. As a shepherd, David knew that that the light of a fire was important to protect his sheep through the night. As a soldier, David knew that his enemies are dangerous under uh, in danger under the cover of darkness. If you're walking on a dark trail, you carry a light so you don't trip over a rock or fall into a trench. If you're walking in a dark parking lot, you need to have a light, a flashlight, in case someone is waiting for you and so you can see where to go. And some of the dangers of darkness are very real, but the light exposes them so we can deal with them. Some are imaginary. The the light exposes them for what they are. The light of God's presence is David's security. Even, Even if he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, God will be his light in the darkness. This is the only passage in the Old Testament where God himself... It's ascribed as light. Elsewhere, it says that God created light. He gave light. He shone with light. But nowhere else does the Old Testament identify God as light. In the New Testament, James says, God is the father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow. In James 1.17, the Apostle John says <coughs> in 1 John 1.5, God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And most significantly, Jesus Christ himself is light. Don says about G- Jesus, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John 1, 5, and 9. Jesus is our light, the very radiance of God himself. And as the light, Jesus is our security. For us on this side of the cross, the confidence and the courage of Psalm 27, it starts with none other than Jesus, the light of the world. He protects us from the dangers of the darkness. But David also says something else. He says that David is, uh, that God is his salvation. This has to do with deliverance or rescue. If SEAL Team 6 is sent by the President of the United States to rescue you, you have good reason To be confident, God does not merely rescue his people. He himself is their rescue, their salvation. And this reality is so powerful that David exclaims in verse 1, Whom shall I fear? Who indeed, Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? David's confidence continues as he calls God his stronghold and his refuge in Psalm 27, verse 1. Psalm translations render the word strength but in any event the result is the same god not only protects him god himself is the protection and one of the most important words in this verse is my it's a small word two letters in the english in one letter in the hebrew but it makes all the difference it's not enough to know that the lord is light even the demons know this you must know that the lord is my light it's not enough to know that God is a savior, a stronghold. The demons know this too. He must be your Lord and savior, your personal stronghold. Let's bring this a bit, say a bit more about this. Some people attend church. They know about God. They know about the Bible, but they do not know the Bible. They do not know God. They are like, Travel agents who get so used to talking about far-off places like Tahiti and Bora Bora that they begin to think they've been there. They can talk about Jesus. They know the language, but they have never met the Lord Jesus and they do not love him. They know about God, but they do not personally know God. They cannot say with confidence, the Lord is my light, my salvation, my stronghold, as the psalmist says. And if Psalm 27 is going to be yours, you better be the Lord's. And now David matches the three descriptions of God in verse 1 with the four description of his enemies in verses 2 through 3. This subtle detail will show us that God is not outmatched no matter how many are against us. This is what Psalm 27 says. 2 through3 says when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh my adversaries and foes it is they who stumble and fall though an army encamp against me my heart shall not fear though war arise against me yet I will be confident and since the evildoers want to eat his flesh in verse 2 you might think he's talking about cannibalism here it's more likely this is a figure of speech comparing them to wild animals in Psalm 22. It's prophesied that men would surround the Messiah like ravenous beasts. Psalm twenty-two, thirteen and sixteen say says this they open wide their mouth at me like a raving and roaring lion. Dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. The language of Psalm twenty-seven and Psalm twenty-two is so similar at this point. It suggests David is talking about the same thing. But in the context of the Psalms, David is not only speaking for himself in Psalm 27, he's speaking about and foretelling of the confidence of the Lord Jesus. This is hugely encouraging because it reminds us as a man, he was as fully human as we are, and yet Jesus trusted God. The Son of God was rescued by God the Father from His enemies. Jesus was truly alone as He rocked that road of suffering from Gethsemane to the cross. Even His closest disciples ran away from Him, and yet His heart did not fear. He was confident when the armies of the darkness surrounded Him. And if the Spirit of Jesus is living inside of us, He alone can give us His confidence. Our ultimate options are faith or fear. When we face death, our final enemy, either we will know the living God or we do not. As the, atheist, <coughs> as the atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell advanced in years, said, the older I get, the more nervous I become. What a contrast with the end of Jonathan Edwards' life. Minutes before he died, Edwards looked about and said, now where is Jesus of Nazareth? my true and never-failing friend. And he closed his eyes, and those at his bedside thought he was gone. They were surprised when he uttered a final sentence, trust in God, and you need not fear. Dear Christian today, I don't know what is going on in your life. You might be facing incredible pressure at your job to conform in a certain way. Maybe even the pressure to deny the faith. Maybe you're even facing that in in the midst of your family, in the midst of your marriage. You're you're facing incredible amounts of pressure financially. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Do not be afraid. The same Lord who has brought you from death to life, he is with you. In fact, Hebrews 13.9 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Next, let's consider presence. David's confidence is rooted in God's presence. Those who trust God, love God, they long to be with the Lord. David is literally obsessed with living in God's presence. This is his desire. Is it our desire today? In the book of Esther, King As Horus was so taken with Queen Esther that he offered to give her whatever he wanted up to half of his kingdom And Esther 5, 3, and 6 tells us. And Esther ruled from India to Ethiopia, an enormous empire with vast riches, and she could have anything your heart desired. What an offer. Imagine somebody offering that to you. If God offered to give you whatever you asked for, what what would your answer be? What is the one thing that means the most to you? What would you choose to pay off your student loans or your mortgage or both? To marry a certain person? To go on that vacation to feel secure for retirement? Would you ask for healing? Maybe you're facing a problem and you want to know what to do. Would you ask for wisdom? What is the one thing you would ask for? Well, David knew what he wants, Psalm 27, verse 4, answers this question for us. One thing I've asked the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. God himself is David's greatest ambition. Verse 4 tells us living in the house of the Lord is a picture of enjoying the presence of God continually. God Himself is the greatest gift for which we could ever ask. <coughs> and He reveals His beauty and His generous goodness to His people. There's nothing better than God. He is infinitely bigger and greater and more grander, more satisfying, more enjoyable. There's nothing greater and more dependable than He, more lasting or more rewarding than God. Himself, We would be fools to ask for anything less than God and to be satisfied by anything less than God. God is sufficient. The best and the final gift of God's love is the joy of having God himself. Psalm 16 verse 2 and 11 says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. You make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And again, Psalm 50, verse 2, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. And again, Psalm 84, verse 10, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. David is empty and dry when God is near. He cannot be satisfied by anything else and will not be satisfied by anything other than the reality of God himself psalm 63 1 through 3 says oh god you are my god earnestly i seek you my soul thirsts for you my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water so i have looked upon your sanctuary holding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life my lips will praise you The best and the most glorious gift that we could ever have is none other than in God himself, to wonder at his beauty, to praise him with all of your hearts. And you might wonder how making much of God could be much good for us. Why ask to see him, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, as verse 4 says. (coughs) After all, wouldn't we be happier if God made much of us instead? That's what the world says today. Oh just just envision your dream. Just actualize your dream. Just think it and it and it'll happen. What nonsense. That's nonsense. God does not make much of us. We are to make much of God. Think of it this way. Suppose you were to drive to the Grand Canyon. When you get there, you get out of the car on the south rim. You walk to an observation point and the view takes your breath away. The canyon is enormous. You can't you can't see it all from one spot. The canyon is ever changing. <coughs> and as the sun crosses the night, the the stones change color and the formations stand out against the shadows. As a life shifts across the rock formations. The overwhelming vastness leaves you in awe. The joy and attractiveness of the Grand Canyon comes from seeing a wonder that is that is big and beautiful and beyond yourself. You're willing to drive a thousand miles or more to see this amazing sight. It's a pleasure and a joy to gaze at the beauty of the Grand Canyon. The greatest joy comes from gazing at a God who is big and beautiful and infinitely beyond ourselves. God is so wonderful that we will gaze at him for all eternity. He captures our attention and fills our heart more than any mountain range or work of art. We will not want to pull our eyes away from him at a mo- for a moment. We need to ask the question, especially around this time of year, but in every point of the year, what if having God himself doesn't sound very appealing? What if, what if I'm just satisfied by looking at the pictures on the internet? What if I'm not satisfied by my spouse? What if I'm not satisfied by my job? What if I just don't like my life? Well, if that's the case, there's something wrong with you. When a man has no appetite, you can assume that he's not feeling well. There's something wrong with his body When a man has no appetite to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, there is something wrong with his soul. David here has an appetite, a thirst to hunger for the Lord. If we are Christians, we have already begun gazing at the Lord. With spiritual sight, we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord or being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. We hunger and we thirst for God. We will gaze on him for all eternity. The best and the, the final gift of the gospel is that we gain none other than Christ himself. Philippians 3.8 says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. This is the all-encompassing gift of God's love through the gospel, to see and to savor the glory of Christ forever. See, without God, we have nothing. and But when we have God, we have everything. And so David lists the blessings of the protection of God that comes from knowing God and living in the presence of God in verses 5 through 6 of Psalm 27, which says, this, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me higher upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. The three words of protection in verse 5 complete emphasize complete care. God will hide me. God will conceal me. God will lift me. The three results in verse 6 emphasize the results of God's care, and David is honored as his head is lifted up. He worships God by offering sacrifice. He will sing to God in praise. These are the dynamics of experiencing God's presence, the blessings that come to those that know the Lord. And following David's confidence and his longing for the presence of God, David cries out for deliverance. Up to this point, David has been talking to himself or to us, and now his meditation turns to conversation. His faith turns into an active prayer. Psalm 27, 7 through 12 says this, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to your face, and they breathe out violence. David's prayer shows us the reality of his suffering in spite of his strong faith. You do not call out to God like this. If if he has already saved you from your enemies, he is still in the heat of the battle. But by faith, David knows that he is accepted and that the Lord will not abandon him. And so he prays passionately for God to intervene. In fact, there's almost nothing more crushing and more devastating than being rejected by your own parents. Many orphans are driven to know why their parents let them go. A woman might work for decades to unlock sealed court records because she needs to know that her mother had no choice. Some boys and girls grow up with that rejection. And to people who have felt the pain of a parent's rejection, verse 10 is comforting beyond words. My father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. You see, God loves you more than any human father or mother can love you. He wraps his arms around you and holds you close. He hears you. He teaches you. He gives you advice. He protects you. He will always welcome you, no matter the day or the hour. In fact, as I think about this, uh, I'm struck by the fact that, you know, as my parents, their health continues to decline. My mother has Alzheimer's. And has a lot of issues with her back and her hip and just her health in general. And my my dad's health is is steady, but his mind is going because of his dementia. And I'm reminded in verse 10, although my parents have not forsaken me, one day they will forget about me. They will totally forget me because of their disease. But I'm encouraged by the last part of this verse. The Lord will take me in. The Lord will take me in. I belong to the Lord. He is mine and I am his. He holds me close. I am am his son. No matter what you're going through today, no matter how hard it is, if you are his, he will take you in. He will hold you in his arms. That is the great love of God. And now David turns to the quiet confidence that he had at the beginning of this psalm. He waits with patience. And his patience is marked by faith. Psalm 27, verse 13 I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This may mean that David expects God to rescue him during his lifetime, and God did step into David's life at various times to save him from death. And on the other hand, this could also mean that David knew uh, that God would save him through death, that he would live again to see the goodness of God after the resurrection. In Psalm 23, verse 6, for instance, David expects uh, to experience God's goodness after death for eternity. In fact, the resurrection was a vital part of the Old Testament faith. Job 19:25 through 27 says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another." With this kind of faith in the resurrection, there is no need of fear. You will see the goodness and the beauty of God forever, not in these shallow lands, but in the true land of the living. And so David ends with a final challenge. Psalm 27, verse 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Don't just wait, David says, be strong. Take courage, stand firm. Christian, you have been asked... You have asked for the greatest thing for God himself. And with God, you have everything. He is your light. He is your stronghold. And so you must say, whom shall I fear? We began this, this psalm in by reading Psalm 27. And in verse 1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? As I've been thinking and working through this text, I've, I've also been reading John, the Gospel of John, and Jesus says this in John eight twelve. Again, Jesus spoke of them, saying, "I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the lights of life." Now, let me read. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation, of whom shall I fear? You see, Jesus is the promised one. He is the light of the world. If we follow in the path of his light, we will have a light to our path. We will have the help of a spirit to illuminate, to open our eyes and our ears to the truth of Scripture. You see, that's what we need. The light that God has provided is only in the Word of God. That's why at the opening of our time, I prayed that that we would know God as He's revealed Himself in the Word. Because we are living, friends, in a time when too many want happiness for their own sake, for their own joy, for their own meaning, for their own value, for their own worth. And what God has provided in Christ, in the word of God, is himself. And friends, the Lord is enough. And he always will be enough. When things get hard and when it seems like the waves are going to crash and they are going to consume us, you need to know the Lord. You need to take the Lord at his word. You need to know that you need to know that you know that you know the Lord. Not just know the, the theological ideas, not just know the theological concepts, but to know the Lord. Let me ask you a question as we wrap up our time together today. How do you respond in the midst of trials like Henry Martin that we began with? Do you have confidence in the Lord as you face enemies, as you face challenging people in difficult situations? Do you have confidence in the Lord? Do you believe that the Lord will help you? Do you believe that the Lord is your confidence, that he is your joy and that you live always in your in his presence and that no matter what happens this is this is the worst that will ever happen to you, whatever it might be? Because you have a hope and you have a future, because Jesus said that he goes ahead in John 14 to prepare a place for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that is more than just mere words from somebody that has come and gone and maybe is buried in the grave? Because Jesus is more than just a prophet. And he is more than just a teacher. He is the Son of God and the Son of Man. All of history revolves around the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. You see, because God has spoken, we can believe the Lord. And not only can we believe him, but we can take him at his word because he is a perfect, holy, just, faithful, and true God. He will never lie, he always acts according to his word. Put it in another way, God is always consistent and God is always coherent, which is why we can take his word to the bank and we can trust him. We can believe him. We can, in the midst of even my parents' dementia and my, my dad's dementia, and my mom's Alzheimer's, I can take the Lord at his word. He is my stronghold. He is the one who's helping me. He is the one who, as Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, his burdens are light. His promises, as 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, are, are yes and amen in Christ. And so I can take them, take him at his word. Every promise that he gives, I can take to the bank. And I can pray back to him. How much of the scripture are you taking and you are you putting into practice into the stuff of your life, or are you doing what James says, just being a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, as James 1:22 says? How are you doing it, enjoying the Lord? Being your light, being your salvation, being your stronghold, your helper, the one who carries you, the one who helps you when you're afraid, when you're fearful, when you're doubting, when you're questioning. How are you doing at that? Because the more that you know the Lord, not just in theological ideas and in theological textbook kind of way, but taking that knowledge from the Bible and from those great systematic theologies and implementing it into your life, the more you're communion with God will be enriched and the more you'll be able to face the the trials and the stuff and the hurt and the pain of life with the help of God's word that is your light because the light that, that the scripture gives us it points to the ultimate light that is Christ himself let's pray Father we thank you that you in and of yourself are enough for us. And you always will be. Forgive us, Lord, for the many ways we do not take this to heart. We do not take confidence in the joy of your light as you've revealed yourself in the word. Forgive us, Lord, for the many ways in which we fail to honor you, to enjoy you, to to enjoy your presence, to enjoy your provision, to give thanks for the joy that is ours in knowing you. Help us, Lord, to not only know about you, but to know you, to grow in our communion with you, to grow in our enjoyment of you because of our union with you. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who has revealed yourself in the word. And we can know you. We can know you personally, and we can tell other people about you. And so I pray, Lord, that if there be those who listen to this that or watch this that don't show you, that you would open eyes and ears, and they might come to know you personally. And that you might draw them to a, to a good church where they can be shepherded by pastors, biblically qualified male pastors who love you and who know you and who walk with you and who teach your word and love your people. So we thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given to us to open your word, to study it, to consider what it means and what it says and how it applies to our life. And we thank you that Isaiah fifty-five eleven says that your word will not return without void. So we thank you, Lord, for these things. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today.